All right, it's another episode of From My Point of View. And once again, another week. The sports gods have blessed us with some actual sports news. Not actual sports, but sports news. Tomorrow, uh, April 23rd, forgot what day it is. They all kind of just blend together now. Thursday, April 23rd is the 2020 NFL Draft. Excuse me. And that's something to look forward to. Uh, I'm not, I actually haven't read anything on whether, I guess they're just live streaming it. So I, it's going to be a very weird experience not having like a huge crowd and the players walking up and shaking the commissioner's hand and all that stuff. So it'll be a weird experience. High school basketball news, a little bit of that. Top three recruit Jalen Green decides is he's going to be the first player to do the NBA's uh, G League to like NBA program straight out of high school. The first player to take advantage of that. And that was a thing that was happening a couple years ago, I think. Now, uh, not last summer, the summer before that, I remember talking about it on the podcast and It was, it seemed like a good idea, and now it's, what, two high school classes later, someone is finally taking advantage of it. Of course, The Last Dance, episodes one and two, premiered on Sunday night. We'll talk a little bit about that. And maybe, even with all of that happening this week, maybe the biggest news is Rob Gronkowski. And let's start there, and then we'll go into some other football-related drama in the NFL draft. Gronk got traded yesterday, I think it was. Yeah, yesterday, for Gronk and a seventh-round pick traded to the Buccaneers for a fourth-round pick. So Bill Belichick goes and gets a fourth-round pick for a guy that didn't even play last year. Gronk, pending his physical, is coming out of retirement. He has one year, I believe it was one year, $10 million left on his current contract. So that's, you're asking why, I didn't even know you can trade retired players. Technically, you can because he was still under contract with the Patriots when he retired. Uh, so if he ever did come back out of retirement he would be owed, if he did come back this year out of retirement, he would still technically be with the Patriots. If, hypothetically, he waited an additional year and then came back out of retirement, he would have been a free agent to sign with whoever he wanted to. But coming back now, had a year left on his deal with New England. They shipped him off with a seventh-round pick for a fourth-rounder. So now Tom Brady is the quarterback of the Buccaneers. He has Rob Gronkowski back as his tight end. He also has O.J. Howard. And he has, of course, the guys out on the ends, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, two enormous and elite wide receivers. So not only... So first of all, this is looking like uh, the 2012 team. Right? The 2011-2012 Patriots team, where they have the two tight end set they can run they have Gronk and now they have OJ Howard who 
physically resembles Aaron Hernandez. He's big, but he's lean, and he's pretty fast for a tight end. He has that same kind of skill set. And then, of course, Gronk is Gronk. There is a question mark against him, though. I mean, I understand he is Rob Gronkowski, arguably the greatest tight end who's ever lived. But he has missed a year. Now, you can look at it both ways. He missed a year. He's going to be slow. He's good. It's going to take him a little bit. He's not coming back to the Patriots where he already knows the playbook inside and out. He's going to have to learn a new playbook. He's going to have to get back into quote-unquote football shape because that's always an argument people use with players who hold out. You saw it with Melvin Gordon this year as a perfect example. He held out four or five weeks, came back, took him like an additional three weeks to really get back into football shape and be able to keep up with that game speed. The flip side of it is he's coming back to a team with Tom Brady. You have to imagine that the playbook is really going to revolve around Brady. It's not going to be Brady coming in and learning an entire new playbook because he has a different offensive coordinator or and head coach. It's going to be catered around Tom Brady. Gronk and Brady are they have uh, that unspoke they already have that unspoken connection on the football field, right? They have that chemistry on the field, so it'll be easier for Gronk to assimilate into the offense. Plus, it's not like Brady's been there for a couple years and now Gronk has to come in and learn everything. They're both going in there. It's year one for them. Also, Gronk isn't the guy. Or he doesn't have to be. He's Gronk, but you have O.J. Howard there already. And I'm not saying O.J. Howard's better than Gronk, but that if they're planning on running that two tight end set again... It helps, of course. And then their real trump card is that Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are, I mean, they're they're almost unguardable. If you go back and look at all the Buccaneers games from last season, most of them, if not all of them, had at least one receiver do really well. Like, they didn't always both get six catches for 90-plus yards, but usually one of them did. And I think it just depends depended on what Jameis they were getting that game. Sometimes Mike Evans, you know, Mike Evans had that game against the Giants in Week 2. He caught five, what was it, five touchdowns, right? Four in the first half. Some crazy shit like that. And... Then, later in the season, he had a couple of dud weeks where he had like two catches for 30 yards. So Mike Evans was hit or miss some weeks, but those weeks where he was missing, Chris Godwin usually wasn't. I don't, and you know, they still lost. They still were under 500 for the year. I think they went 7-9 in the Bucs, but that was because Jameis also threw like 30 interceptions. I digress. Godwin and Evans are elite receivers that... Honestly, this offense right now... Sans the run game, of course. Because the Buccaneers don't really have a a reliable running back right now. 
and they didn't last year, and they still don't. But these, this is the best receiving core Tom Brady's ever had. I think. I mean, the 2007, when they were undefeated and then lost to the Giants, Randy Moss was their guy. And they had Wes Welker. Randy Moss and Wes Welker, okay. Moss was elite. Welker was very, very good. But now you have two all-pro caliber wide receivers. Your tight end, who, again, arguably one of the greatest tight ends of all time, 50-50 split about what's going to happen. He's going to come back, and he's going to kind of be the Gronk that was a couple years ago uh, when they went to the Super Bowl against the Rams, where they didn't really use him a whole lot in the regular season. But when they needed him, he was there. It's going to be probably more of that Gronk. Like, he's not going to be the guy, obviously, as I said already. He doesn't have to be. Um, But he's there as a safety blanket. And you know he's going to catch the football. And then you have uh, O.J. Howard, who it has been kind of a wasted talent so far. Because he's physically gifted. He just hasn't really seemed... He hasn't found his niche in Tampa Bay. So maybe Tom Brady uh, helps him do that. Or he gets traded. Honestly, like he could still get traded. It's not out of the question. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see on what happens with O.J. Howard. But yeah, that might be the biggest news of the week right now. Is Coming on Tuesday is that Gronk coming out of retirement. A little other football drama before we get to the draft is DeAndre Hopkins was quoted in Sports Illustrated saying that he had no relationship with Bill O'Brien. He was asked a question about the relationship and he said, there was no relationship. You can put that, make sure you put that in the, uh, the interview. So, little confusing uh Hopkins was traded from the Texans to the Cardinals and a lot of people wondered why he was traded for David Johnson and I don't even think they got a first rounder for him or maybe it was David Johnson in a first I, I don't know what it was uh it was definitely worse than that I think it was David Johnson in a second but they didn't trade much They didn't get much for him, and a lot of people were questioning what the hell's going on, what is Bill O'Brien doing, Uh, he hates DeAndre Hopkins, it's the only logical explanation, he's feeling spiteful, yada yada, and this might actually answer some of those questions that he just didn't care for DeAndre Hopkins, which is crazy because DeAndre Hopkins is a guy who is notably active in or was notably active in Houston's charitable scene where he would he had I think he had his own charity he would donate to charity uh he has he was very outspoken about the love for his mother he's a family guy all that stuff really no blemishes on the guy off the field and personality wise so I'm not really sure why you wouldn't be able to have a relationship with your 
what is he now, a three-time all-pro wide receiver, easily the best player on your team, and a great guy off the field, does has uh gives great gets great PR for your team, your organization, is a guy you want to be the face of your organization. And for some reason, you, Bill O'Brien, as the head coach and also GM for some reason, have no relationship with him. It's a head scratcher. And to me, it falls back to Bill O'Brien. Because if you're the head coach and also the GM, it is your responsibility to have that relationship with your players. Does it always work out? No, of course not. There are some players who are jerks and they don't care and uh, they have off the field problems, etc., etc., right? DeAndre Hopkins does not fit this description. So what reason do you have to not try and forge a relationship with this guy? It makes no sense. Absolutely none. And again, another head scratcher in the chapter of... Bill O'Brien, the legacy of Bill O'Brien in Houston is a confusing one. I still don't know why he's there. I mean, I could talk I could talk for days about how much I don't like Bill O'Brien and how he should have been fired yesterday. Point being, DeAndre Hopkins is now on the Cardinals and he's lucky Bill O'Brien is that they didn't train a, trade him to someone else in the NFC. Because now he doesn't have to deal with him. Or someone else in the AFC. Because now DeAndre Hopkins is in the NFC. And they don't have to deal with him, of course. Unless their schedules get aligned. Which would be great. I would very much like to see that. I would love to see Kyler Murray toast the Texans with DeAndre Hopkins. Just to give a little middle finger to Bill O'Brien. All right, as I mentioned, tomorrow, Thursday, the 23rd, is the NFL Draft. I'm going to be reading off uh, CBS Sports Mock Draft, and I'll pro- I'm going to switch around a couple of picks. We'll see what happens. Or, or I'm just actually... We'll see, we'll see what happens here. Um, I'll either agree or see who... They have trades in this, which is makes it a little bit confusing, but we'll see what happens. Okay, whatever. The first two picks are more or less locked in. I can't possibly see the Bengals or the Redskins messing this up. And granted, they are both franchises who... I mean, I don't even... I don't, would you say the Bengals are a poorly run franchise? I don't know. Like, yeah, they were really bad last year, but... But, like, have they really, how many draft picks have they missed on? They just cut uh, Dre Kirkpatrick, who's been there for, like, seven years. They drafted him out of Alabama. Uh, Wasn't really the lockdown they were expecting him to be. But, I mean, he was there for seven or eight years. Not terrible. A.J. Green's coming back. They franchise-tagged him. Joe Mixon had a great second half of the season. And, uh, I mean, Andy Dalton... He took them to the playoffs, and they were competing at a high level for, you know, four or five years there. But his time has now come to an end in uh, Cincinnati. Joe Burrow is going to be the quarterback 
of the future for them. Uh, AJ Green is still elite, or he was. I, I hopefully he comes back and he's he's still plays at a high level, but he is 31 years old now, I think. Um, hopefully Joe Burrow really propels him back to that all-pro status he was before his injuries. Second pick, Chase Young, the guy who a couple weeks into the college football season was projected to be the number one overall pick until Joe Burrow and LSU started completely routing everybody on their way to a national championship. Pick number three. I've seen this pick uh, fluctuate a little bit. Jeff Okuda, cornerback from Ohio State University, going to the Lions, third overall. I've also seen Isaiah Simmons plugged in there, and I've also seen one of these three or four offensive linemen with Jedrick Wills uh, Jr. from Bama, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, or Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. So one of those, I've seen one of those three offensive linemen plugged in somewhere in the top five in, in several different orders. Uh, I would think Okuda is the pick there for the Lions. They just lost Darius Slay who wanted out of Detroit because they weren't going to pay him. So why not? You lose Slay, you don't pay him, and you go and draft the best defensive back in college football, even though I don't think he won the award. I think that kid from LSU did. And uh, I know a lot of people who (laughs) love Ohio State, a couple of my friends who are alumni from there, did not agree with that. Fourth pick, the Giants, my New York Giants. Um, they have CBS has Jedrick Wills. I should read who who uh who's who wrote this? Whose mock draft is this? Let's see. RJ White. CBS. Uh Jedrick Wills Jr., offensive lineman from Alabama. And any offensive lineman from Alabama is usually a safe pick. I would also uh think Andrew Thomas. Another offensive lineman from Georgia, another good pick. I would like to have him as well. So they got uh, offensive lineman from Bama, offensive lineman from Georgia, or the guy who I low-key want. Like, I know the Giants need an offensive lineman to protect Daniel Jones. I know they do. And also help Saquon Barkley run the football. I know they do. But I low-key also want Isaiah Simmons because Isaiah Simmons is a freak. The guy is a specimen. He can do it all. He's a linebacker, but he can do it all. And he's 6'4", 240. And the guy just runs over, runs all around the football field on the defensive end. He can rush. He can uh, rush the quarterback. He can stop the run. He can drop back and guard uh, tight ends. The guy's a, a monster. So I would kind of like him because the Giants linebacking core has been notoriously shit post- 2012 Super Bowl, they've been just terrible, and they've been plugging in, like, free agents, guys who would be second or third stringers on any other team to be starters for them, and I don't know what it is, but the Giants went from having an amazing defensive line and solid linebackers to, they had they went from having an amazing defense to a, a, a real shit defense, I don't know. So I would really like Isaiah Simmons. Granted, one guy on defense isn't going to fix your problems, but 
it helps when if you get an elite linebacker like him to build around. Yeah, it it would it would help a lot. But I understand that the need might the need of offensive line might be or should be more of a priority if since you have such a young quarterback and a young running back. Fifth overall pick. Uh they have Tua Tagovailoa as the quarterback going to the Dolphins with the fifth overall pick. But Mel Kuyper has Justin Herbert going to the Dolphins. And I don't know what's going on. A, a lot of people have Tua dropping down in the draft. And it's uh, interesting what's going to happen. I don't know what the Dolphins are going to do. Uh, Tua, apparently there's room, there were whispers and stuff that his physicals didn't go great. And that's why he slip he's slipping off some teams draft boards. Um, I don't think the Dolphins should pick Justin Herbert because they think Tua might not be as healthy as he says he is. Granted, it's a big question mark, but Tua is the better talent than Justin Herbert. At least that's what all the draft experts say. So the Dolphins are definitely a team to... This is going to be an interesting pick, the fifth overall pick, to see what they do. Sixth pick, the Chargers, Andrew Thomas, Georgia, uh, for this mock draft. I actually think they're going to go quarterback... Um, depending on who the Dolphins take, I think the Chargers might take the next available. So if Tua goes to the Dolphins, Herbert might go to the Chargers and vice versa. Herbert, of course, from or- uh, went to Oregon, so playing in California, not a huge adjustment for him. Um, I don't actually even know where he's from. He might be from California. No, he's from he's from Oregon, so... Not a big adjustment for him either way. He's from Oregon, went to Oregon, playing in California. It's okay with him. It is Southern California, so it's a little bit of ways away, but still. Pick seven, the Panthers. Isaiah Simmons in this mock draft. Uh, that would be great for them. They just lost Luke Keekley, who retired unsuspectingly and way early, uh, 28 years old. Going to be a Hall of Famer. Guy's an absolute monster, but if you lose Keekly and you're able to draft Simmons, hey, it would be it would have been nice to have both of them if you're a Panthers fan. But if you gotta lose one and then this is the guy you replace him with, it's it's not a bad trade-off. The eighth overall pick, they have the Cardinals trading this pick to the Falcons for C.J. Henderson, cornerback from Florida. Uh, the Jack, the Falcon, <laughs> the Falcons pay uh, the Jack Conklin price to move to number eight, surrendering number 16, 78, and a 2021 second-round pick to get their guy. Henderson gives them the, the team a legit number one cornerback in a secondary that has been a weakness in, in recent years. Uh, I don't see any way he gets past the Jaguars, Jets, and Raiders, so the Falcons have to get aggressive if they want him. That's interesting. Uh, pick nine, Derek Brown, Auburn, defensive lineman from Jacksonville. I, I don't. Jacksonville's a huge question mark for me. They're cleaning house. 
okay, they're taking a defensive lineman. Fine, work on the defense. Uh, you have you gave the the franchise to Gardner Minshew right now. He's your quarterback going into next season, but they still have a huge question mark. Uh, they have Fournette. They have uh, their receivers. They traded everyone on defense, right? Ramsey's gone. Uh, Bouye's gone. Um, Fowler has been gone. I think uh, Calais Campbell's gone now, too. So you don't really have anyone. You drafted defensive lineman Derek Brown from Auburn. Sure, you still have Miles Jack. This is an interesting pick as well. Uh, the 10th overall pick from the Browns traded to the Broncos they have here. The Broncos have a lot of draft capital this year with three third-rounders in their pocket, and they don't have a ton of needs after a busy offseason. So it makes sense to swing a deal to go up and get their number one wide receiver, Jerry Judy, rather than sit back and hope you can possibly get your third choice at the position. They give up 15, 83, and 118 to get this spot. And, uh, yeah, okay, so the Broncos trade up to get Jerry Judy. You have Drew Locke as your quarterback. You just went and signed Melvin Gordon to a nice deal. And if you go out and get Jerry Judy to pair with uh, Cortland Sutton, that's a hell of an offense. Got to be honest. Round one, pick 11. I actually think Judy was going to... Either Judy or CeeDee Lamb was going to fall to the Jets at 11, and this is who they were going to pick. But this draft... Uh, this mock draft has Tristan Wirfs, offensive lineman from Iowa. Again, the Jets and Giants are kind of in the same boat. Yes, I would like the Giants to get Isaiah Simmons, but I know that offensive line is a huge need for them. I'm sure Jets fans seem to see, feel the same way. Yes, you would like to have Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb, but you need an offensive lineman because your offensive line might be worse than the Giants right now. Pick 12, uh, I was going to say Oakland, it's Las Vegas, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, CeeDee Lamb, uh, solid pick, they don't need, I mean, yeah, they, they, they kind of need a receiver, he, he, is, he is a number one for, I mean, Darren Waller, I think, was the leading receiver for the Raiders last year, and they didn't really have reliable outside threats. So getting C.D. Lamb, pretty good pickup. Here's another trade. Uh, the Colts trade the 13th pick to the San Francisco 49ers. That was a trade that already happened, uh, the DeForest Buckner trade. So the Niners get the 13th pick, and this says they'll take Javon Kinlaw, defensive lineman, South Carolina. So they trade DeForest Buckner. They replace him with another first-round defensive lineman. Um, and they were known for that last year. Everyone on their starting defensive line was a first-round draft pick, and they'll keep the status quo even after trading DeForest Buckner to the Colts. Pick number 14, Mekhi Becton, offensive lineman from Louisville. Um, I think this this is the kid that like ran like a 4'6", like a 4'6", 40 at 360 pounds, right? I think this is this this guy. Um, 
So Tom Brady, obviously in Tampa Bay, reinforced the offensive line. Another mock trade at pick 15. Again, the Browns trading a first-round pick, uh, the 15th pick, and the Eagles, Henry Ruggs from Alabama, wide receiver. And uh, that's, I mean, yeah, that's a good pick. If you're the, if this happens, that's a good trade for the Eagles. That's a good pick for the Eagles. They need a wide receiver. I'm actually going to skip the rest of these mock trades because it's just... It's a little confusing. So we'll skip the... So that's a 15's a mock trade. 16's a mock trade between the Falcons and the the Cardinals, which was earlier I said that. Uh, round 1 pick 17, A.J. Terrell, cornerback Clemson to Dallas. Uh, round 1 pick 18, this was part of the Minka Fitzpatrick trade between Miami and Pittsburgh. So Miami has this pick. Cesar Ruiz, offensive lineman from Michigan. Uh, the Bears and the Raiders. I think, was this from, this might have been from the Khalil Mack trade still. Um, there's something else. I don't know. Uh, Jeff Gladney, cornerback TCU to the Raiders. Uh, trade between the Rams and the Jaguars gives the Jaguars the 20th pick. Justin Jefferson, wide receiver, LSU. I like Justin Jefferson a lot. If you can get him at 20, it's a good pick for the Jaguars to get another receiver. A mock trade at 21, not dealing with that. Uh, this is part of the Stephon Diggs trade between Minnesota and Buffalo. So Minnesota gets the 22nd pick. They take Jalen Johnson, cornerback from Utah. Round one, pick 23. So this CBS mock draft has Justin Herbert going to the Patriots all the way down at the 23rd pick. I don't think that happens, but we'll see. I don't know. They, these guys <laughs> might know a little bit more than me. 24th pick, Patrick Queen, linebacker LSU to the Saints. 25, 25th pick, they have a mock draft trade here. Um, the Laramie Tunsil trade between... The Dolphins and the Texans gives the Dolphins the 26th pick. They take Josh Jones, offensive lineman from Houston. Mock trade at 27. Uh, 28th pick, Kenneth Murray, linebacker, Oklahoma, to the Ravens. 29th pick, Robert Hunt, offensive lineman, Louisiana, from or to the uh, Titans. Jordan Brooks, linebacker, Texas Tech, to the Packers at 30 another mock trade, and then Trevon Diggs, cornerback from Alabama, the 32nd pick to the Chiefs. Whew! All right, we're done. Going to be fun. I mean, I I love... Listen, I love the NFL draft. Uh, I'm excited to see... What happens, what trades happen, because, you know, you can mock draft trades all you want. Whether teams actually pull the trigger or agree to th things is another uh, deal entirely. I actually am very interested in the Dolphins pick because, again, my, my good friend is a Dolphins fan. So, very excited to see his reaction depending on who they go with. It could be either one of three, of course. Very happy. Content. Or blistering anger. <laughs> so we'll see what happens with him and with the Dolphins and where the quarterbacks, 
the two other quarterbacks, obviously Joe Burrow is going number one, but the two other quarterbacks, Tua and Justin Herbert, where they fall in the draft. And, of course, who my Giants take. Jalen Green. You may not have heard his name yet, but you will. He is the second or third, I believe, rated high school prospect according to ESPN's Top 100. Uh, He was... Him and his friend, actually, Josh Christopher, they both, they're both from California. Josh Christopher committed to Arizona State, the highest commit that Arizona State has had. Uh, James Harden is now second. And everyone was waiting for them to, to commit. They were like two of the last top 10 guys to commit to a school. Josh Christopher goes to Arizona State, and Jalen Green decides to completely forego college and the NCAA and partake in the NBA's new G League program. Now, the logistics of it are pretty sweet. He goes to play in the G League, and he gets 500000 for the year. That's his salary. Gets paid $500,000 to play in the G League. He skips college. He plays against... He gets tutored by... Depending on like who is on his team, of course. Um, he's going to be with guys who can help him prep for the NBA. Veterans that are in the G League. Play against... Higher level of competition. He's not going up against other 18, 19, 20-year-old guys. He's going up against grown men. And it'll prep him more for the NBA, all while getting paid $500,000. Now, granted, of course, you you could jokingly say, well, he probably could have got that money if he went to Duke or Kentucky or whatever other top-tier school you want to say. Maybe. Maybe. Um, but he didn't, I I respect the move. He wanted to excel further and he is incredibly talented. Uh, he's six foot five shooting guard. The kid can do it all. He's athletic. He can shoot. He can drive to the rim. He's very, very good. Uh, I think this G league move is smart. I think it's better than what guys last year like LaMelo and RJ Hampton did where they went overseas to New Zealand to play. Granted, I think they did fine. They did well in uh, in New Zealand and they performed at a high level. However, they're, you know, across the world. So the average American isn't going to... I mean, aside from the clips that get posted on social media... You're not seeing a whole lot of RJ Hampton or LaMelo Ball. Being Going to the G League, you're going to get more exposure. And the NBA is going to give you more exposure because you are a direct... Like, the NBA wants that program to succeed. So if he does well, he's going to be plastered all over the place... Probably, I assume. (laughs) He's going to be plastered all over the place. And the NBA is going to point to him and be like, hey, look at our our G League program, high school, top high school prospects. Look 
at what this kid is doing, and he's making money. Look what he's doing for his draft stock, and they're going to go and show that to all other ESPN top 10 uh, uh, recruits, for high school recruits, and tell them, hey, <laughs> fuck the NCAA. We'll give you money to come play for us, and it'll boost their image. Now the NCAA is going to hate that, but college basketball won't end because of this G League program. You have to be elite enough to enter this G League thing that the NBA has going on. I think it's like a top 15, top 10, most likely. I don't know how far down the recruiting list you can be before the NBA says it's not going to work out, right? Like, I don't think the 50th guy on the ESPN Top 100 can go to the G League, right? He's going to have to take his scholarship from whatever school gives it to him. But Jalen Green, a top five guy... Yeah, the NBA, the G League is going to take him. So I thought that was a really interesting bit of news, uh, considering he's the first guy to do it and take advantage of this program. It was worth mentioning, and I'll definitely be tracking his progress whenever it starts back up. I don't know, you know, hopefully it starts on time, college basketball. All right, the last dance. I'm sure everyone's, you've all been waiting for me to talk about this. The Last Dance, episodes one and two premiered on Sunday night, and it was awesome. I mean, this documentary is going to be chef's kiss, uh, like elite. And so they started with the, the basis of it. During the, or prior to the 1997 season, the year that the Bulls won their sixth championship, uh, they granted media access, quote-unquote, unprecedented media access. So they had cameras following them everywhere, in the locker room, in their practice facility, uh, wherever they went, on the team bus. And that was something that they never done before. So this was the first time that they were really allowing uh you know, unrestricted media access to follow them and, and get their routines down. And a couple of shocking parts that came up during the documentary that, of course, I didn't know of because in 1997, I was one years old. Jerry Krause. Rest in peace. But the, they lit this guy up. I mean, he he's dead. And they lit his ass up. I mean, no, <laughs> I... Like, I'm... For his sake... It's better off that he's dead because if he was alive and this came out, he would just be. He, I mean, people were toasting him online regardless. But if he was alive, oh man, it would have been probably so much worse for him. Um, but he seemed like a real complex guy. Let's put it that way. Um, a notorious quote, of course organizations win championships, not players. Ridiculous comment to make, and he's. they had a, a clip of him saying that it was taken completely out of context, but it really, really wasn't <laughs> that much. Um, and also, a wild thing that he did was come out to the media and let everyone know, Phil Jackson, this is Phil Jackson's last year being the coach. Can you imagine... 
Can you imagine if this happened like with the Warriors, right? The Warriors winning um, three championships in four years. Going to the champion, going to the, the finals five years in a row. Could you imagine if they won all five championships in a row like that? And then, or they won four championships in a row, and then the owner of the Warriors came out and said that they can win 82 in a row and win, the champ and win their fifth championship in a row, but this is Steve Kerr's last year of coaching. Could you imagine what the reaction would be? Like, for the GM to come out and say, yeah, this guy has won five championships in six years, but I don't care if he goes 82-0, he's, he's done. He's, we're not renewing his contract, and we're going to start rebuilding. That was an insane idea to wrap my head around, too. Like, this guy was trying to rebuild a team that had just won five championships in six years. I, what? Why? How? It doesn't make any sense. None. So that was crazy, of course. Um, another bit that they, uh, that I kind of, my jaw dropped a little bit. Uh, when they were doing, so the episode one kind of revolved, it set the basis of the documentary, the 1997 season and all that. And then, of course, started focusing on Jordan and how amazing he was, especially early in, specifically early in his career and in college. And there is a clip of a couple players. Uh, so Mark Eaton, of course, ironically saying that, you know, it, it's hard to carry a team if you're not a center, which was funny. Um, but more specifically, Bob Knight, the great Bob Knight, saying before Michael Jordan even played his first game in the NBA said that Michael Jordan was the greatest player he's ever seen. What the fuck? <laughs> like, kudos to you, Bob Knight. It, it kind of worked out, right? I would say it worked out for you. But what a statement. I mean, if there was social media back then, it that clip would have blown up everywhere. Obviously, there wasn't. So if you didn't see it on, like, SportsCenter or the news... You probably didn't know it happened. But, oh my lord. Like, before his first ever game saying, this is the greatest kid I've ever seen play a game of basketball. That's a statement. So the first episode, like I said, kind of revolved around young Jordan. Um... His background, where he came from, his relationship with his brothers, his competitive drive. Uh, they showed, you know, there was clips about him young. I think it was his rookie year or his second year in the league. And he had to carry his team. And he got injured. He broke his foot. And when he was rehabbing, he started playing basketball when they said not to. And then he came back and they limit restrictions about... And this is the, the basis of his tension with the front office is that it stems from this injury and how even when he was healthy playing, you know, 1v1, 
3v3, 5v5, full court basketball in the gym, rehabbing his injury when they said not to. He was playing basketball anyway. He felt fine. And he was ready to go. And the doctors, the team doctors were like, well, there's a 10% chance you might re-injure it. And if you do, your career is over. And Jordan was like, I don't care. That's 90% chance that it's not going to happen. Let me play. And they were like, no. So they put him on a limit, uh, minutes restriction. And during a game where that they could have won, uh, they actually did end up winning because I think they said I think it was John Paxton hit a game-winning shot. But it was like 14 seconds left, and he hit his limits restriction, his minutes restriction. So they took him out of the game, and he got pissed because he won the win, and they weren't they weren't letting him in the game. And that's where him and the front office kind of had a fracture because. Did they make the right move? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it is 14 seconds, so whatever. But at the same time, lim- minutes restrictions for literally the face of your franchise and the star of your franchise who has a, a delicate injury that might – has a chance, a very slight chance, but a chance to re-injure and re- derail his entire career. Yeah, you don't want to hear that as an owner or a GM. So you bench him or you put him on restrictions. That clashed with Jordan, of course, because he, as many people said in the entire documentary, wants to play the game pure. He wants to play to win. He never turns off. Phil Jackson said he was the only guy he's ever seen, Jordan, who had the ability to turn it on and off, and he never turned it off. So they focused a lot on that, his competitive drive, his relationship with the Bulls front office, and his career early on and uh they mentioned the the playoff series versus Celtics that great Celtics team uh he lit them up for 49 and then 62 whatever it was 61 in the playoffs back-to-back games obviously they lost that playoff series but it was focusing on a young Jordan and his talents episode two focused more on Scottie Pippen and how he was criminally underpaid going into the 1997 season. And he had a pre-existing injury that he could have had done at the end of the 96 season. But he said, screw it, I'm going to enjoy my summer. And then he got the surgery the beginning of the 97 season. And missed, I think, two to three months they said he was going to be out. And it focuses on the struggles at the beginning of the season... Jordan trying to carry the team. They lost a lot or a lot for, you know, a team that was supposed to be as great as the Bulls. Even though Jordan was still elite, uh, he was missing Scotty. And Scotty Pippen hated Jerry Krause. That was the main focus of it. And his beef there, he wanted a new contract. So he he thought getting this surgery and, and sitting out was kind of sticking it to him. Um, but to get a glimpse of what it was, to get a, a, a hold on it, in 1991, Scottie Pippen signed a seven-year contract, six-year contract, or no, seven-year contract, so 1997-98 was the last year of his contract, signed it seven years for $18 million. Or $19 million, whatever it was. I think he was making something like two, two and a half million dollars a year. He was first or second in every Bulls category and was arguably, well, not arguably, one of the top five best players in the league at the time, if not 
if you want to argue not top five, okay, top ten, fine. Criminally underpaid. He knew it. The Bulls knew it, but they didn't care. The media knew it. Fans knew it. And I think he got paid by Portland after this year, but, I mean, god damn. No one knew. Scottie Pippen says it himself. He had two people in wheelchairs, his father and his brother, in his house. So he just wanted to get paid and be able to provide for his family. Two and a half million dollars a year in the 90s. Oh, that's pretty good, right? But what happened was the NBA blew up. Especially after the 1992 Olympics with the Dream Team. The NBA, it blew up. It started to blow up into this into this uh, international sport, and obviously it's not it's not like what it was or what it is now. But back then, the sport starts blowing up. Everyone wants to be wants to watch the Bulls. Everyone wants to watch Jordan and Pippen. Everyone wants to watch uh, Malone, Barkley, like all these guys. People want to watch them all around the world. So. We all know what happens there. The cap goes up. Players get paid more. Scotty's still on the contract. And when he explains why he took that contract, 100% makes sense. I totally get it. But it is tough. It is really, when things break like that for you, it's, it's shit. So that's the basis, really, of episode two is more about, episode one is about Jordan and the Bulls, episode two is about Pippen and the Bulls, and next week, next Sunday, is supposed to be about the Bulls and Jordan versus the bad boy Pistons and Dennis Rodman. So Rodman being with the Bulls and the Pistons is a focal point of next week, as well as the Jordan rules and the rivalry they had uh, against each other in the late, in the mid to late 80s. I think, it was, I think it was just the late 80s. When they win? 86, 87, 87, 88? I forget the back-to-back years the Pistons won, but it was the 80s. Or maybe it was later. 88, 89? I forget. Late 80s, we'll call it. So that's going to be a great episode because Dennis Rodman, if you haven't seen the Rodman 30 for 30, uh, I think it's for better or for worse it's called, uh, watch it. It's electric. Uh, Dennis Rodman is a fascinating person. So I'm interested to see. Because they already had that. So um, they didn't really talk about Jordan in the Rodman 30 for 30. Because it was about Rodman. So I'm. it's going to be really cool to, to see this huge rivalry that they had play out. And I'm sure they'll talk about what Rodman thought of Jordan, what Jordan thought of Rodman when he was on the Pistons, and eventually how Rodman got on the Bulls team. That's going to wrap it up for this week, though. Long episode. I'm happy. I'm happy. Uh, Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday. Um, I'm sure I'll I'll probably break down the draft... Uh, again, episodes three and four of The Last Dance and whatever other news happens to take place. And is next week? No, next week is not the first week of May. 
Yeah, we're getting close, though. All right. Have a great rest of your week. Be safe. Stay inside. Social distance. Yada, yada. You know the drills. I'll talk to you guys next Wednesday.